1: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, and joining me is Chris Trapasso, who writes for CBS Sports about the NFL draft. Chris, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. Thanks for having me on. Sure thing. Uh The draft for someone like yourself that puts so much effort into it, what is that like to finally have it over? I mean, do you just go uh sit uh, outside? Do you take a little vacation to the ocean or something? I mean, you guys who study the draft put so much effort into getting every detail of every prospect when it's over it's got to be a great feeling
0: yeah it's kind of bittersweet like i will say that i'm I'm probably in the vast majority of people that that do what i do that when those picks were getting up there into the 230s 240s 250s i i was not going to be angry when it was over but when it was done it was kind of like oh man it's finally over all this build up all of these hours spent watching film and doing rankings and interviews and articles, um, you know, is, is done. But then that's what this week is for. And that's why this week is fun because then, you know, you can kind of talk about picks that were actually made that it, you know, not just speculation on what teams might do. We can kind of get a look at every team's draft class and see how, you know, they did, um, over the weekend.
1: What was the biggest thing that surprised you that you might not have had on your rankings or that somebody who jumped way up or let a guy drop way down? Was there one where you got, uh, to day three maybe and thought, gosh, how did that happen?
0: Um, yeah, a few. I was surprised in the first round, um, that Derwin James fell as far as he did. Yeah. From Florida State. He seemed like he checked a lot of the boxes to be a top ten pick. I actually thought Minka, um, that Minka Fitzpatrick would would fall past him and, and and get picked. Actually, where James did at 17, somewhere in that range. Just with his size, six foot two or six foot three, um, a little over 210 pounds, with just elite athleticism, um, made a big impact at Florida State right away. Led the team in tackles as a rookie or, or um, as a freshman, excuse me. And, and, and then just, you know, played on some somewhat disappointing quarter state teams after that, but was just the perfect type of player I thought to come into the NFL is like a hybrid safety, hybrid corner, hybrid linebacker, really positionless, which that's where I think the game is kind of trending toward. That was the biggest mm-hmm. surprise in terms of a, uh, really good prospect falling into the first. And one other one, and I've said the name about a thousand times, so I have it down. Agbania Okaranko from Oklahoma <laughs> falling all the way to the fifth round, um, to the Los Angeles Rams. I had him as a first round prospect. I don't, I don't know why he was, you know, seen to, to not have that, um, high of a, you know, just view by the whole NFL. Um, I, I don't even really think he's undersized. He was just under 6'2 and 253 pounds at the combine. Um, did fairly well there, and he was just really productive at a big-name school. He was really the only productive defender on that Oklahoma defense last year um, and was good in 2016 as well. And just from a film standpoint, he wasn't one of those one-trick ponies that only won with speed or was just overly powerful. He used his arms well, his hands, um, had very good bend around the edge. So I was surprised. Maybe, you know, I didn't know if he was going to go in the top 15 where I had him ranked, but I did not think he was going to fall to the fifth round. I think landing in L.A. with Wade Phillips was ideal for him.
1: Yeah, for uh, almost anybody who gets to land in L.A. with Wade Phillips, a guy who uh, keeps sort of uh, does the same defense with a 3-4, but then finds ways to reinvent himself. Not too long ago, I was watching a video from Wade Phillips about uh, all the different positions in the 3-4 defense and how he adapted each one at every different stop, whether it was when he was with Buffalo or with the Houston Texans, and he talked about uh, adjusting his roles for different players. I, I was a little surprised that uh, Austin Corbett went so high and that he's, it seems, probably going to be a tackle with Cleveland. I was also surprised that Hayden Hurst was the first uh, tight end. I thought that uh-huh. Dallas... I thought Dallas Goddard was the better all-around tight end, so it did surprise me. And of course, Lamar Jackson going 32, I would not have expected that.
0: Yeah, I think Hayden Hurst. That was just surprising because he's such an old uh, prospect. He's going to be 25 as a rookie, and I don't think his film was bad, but I didn't see him, um, you know, as a, as a surefire standout among the guys like Dallas Goddard, Mark Andrews, even like who all went after him Mm -hmm. so i think to be a first round tight end you have to have to me a pretty elite athletic profile a lot of production at the college level um and just you know a film a, a collection of film that just kind of blows everyone else away and i didn't really see that from him so for the Ravens to pick him yes they you know traded back a few times in the first round so that may have increased the value of that selection but they've picked a lot of tight ends recently to try to help Joe Flacco over the past couple of seasons and none have really panned out. Um, you know, obviously some injuries done it's put out, but you know, Max Williams, Crockett Gilmore, they've picked some guys that just have not panned out. So they're obviously trying to kind of fortify that, that spot, but I didn't really understand picking Hayden Hurst even in the back end of the first round.
1: So Chris, with full recognition that grading drafts is very difficult right after, I think that the NFC North had three of the best drafts in uh, terms of the Chicago Bears. Uh, Detroit Lions and Green Bay Packers filled a lot of their big needs and came away with prospects that I expected to go a little higher. So let's, let's go there and then we could talk a bit about your takeaway from what the Vikings did. Chicago, Roquan Smith, okay, figured they would get him or, or maybe Quentin Nelson, somebody at the top of the draft because they were bad. But they get into the second and third round and to come away with James Daniels and Anthony Miller, I thought was a home run for Chicago Daniels is a mobile athletic offensive lineman and kind of a leader type of guy who can get to the second level and Anthony Miller was my favorite wide receiver in the draft how did you feel Chicago did
0: yeah I think they had one of the best drafts mainly because of those three players that you just mentioned that I think at each level, um, or and at each respective position, they're game changers. Roquan Smith is is that sideline to sideline linebacker that I think the Bears have really needed um, ever since Lance Briggs um, called a quits there. Um, I love Anthony Miller too. He probably got dinged a little bit because of his size and he's kind of maxed out in his frame, but mm-hmm. he plays a lot better than his size. Um, you know, he plays like he's six three or six and, and he's great after the catch. Tracks the ball really well. Has some pretty good speed. He's probably quicker than he is fast, but um, he was someone that I was surprised fell as far as he did. And then James Daniels, apparently the only reason why he fell were some medical concerns. So if the Bears doctors kind of cleared him or, um, you know, kind of said that it was going to be okay for him to be ready by training camp or by the regular season, um, he's someone that can really anchor at either the center spot or one of the guard spots in Chicago. I think he, he does need to get, a little bit stronger and a little bit better in in pass protection. But he's someone, like you said, that is so athletic and one of the most mobile interior lineman that I've ever watched or at least recently that will certainly help their run game right away
1: I thought James Daniels would have been a great pick for the Vikings and we'll get into that in a few minutes but because I loved how quick he would get off of the snap and get out to those linebackers there was one play in particular too that he could really reach to defensive tackles that were shaded over his opposite shoulder. It was it, it really impressive to see him and how fast for a guy that's six foot four could get out of his stance and get to those guys. And uh, for him to be available there when a lot of people, I think Mike Mayock had him as his 17th best prospect. Uh, that looked like a huge steal. And, it, the, you know, the other team that stacked up on their offensive line with a great pick was the Detroit Lions getting Frank Ragnow. I'm not sure that everybody saw that coming for Frank Ragnow to go that early, but after watching a lot of him thinking the Vikings would be interested, he was one of my favorite prospects in the entire draft, whether he plays center or right guard or whatever it might be. Uh, that guy looks like a beast.
0: Yeah, he was my number one center throughout the entire process. I know that. Billy Price, because of the Ohio State pedigree and that he was, you know, he started a bunch of games there at, at guard and center. Um, he was, he kind of went in January, February, the beginning of the pre-draft process is kind of the consensus number one that people started to watch Daniels, liked him a lot. I just liked Ragnow in that he wasn't flashy, but he was a really good pass protector and he was a, a really physical run blocker, that he wasn't really getting tossed around or moved by those bigger, stronger nose tackles or defensive tackles in the SEC. And if there's one thing that Brett Bielema does right um, with coaching and recruiting is that he does, you know, going back to his Wisconsin days, he knows how to find good and then coach good offensive linemen. He sent a ton of guys during his days in Wisconsin to the league. My comparison for right now is actually – uh, Travis Frederick, another, um, Wisconsin guy. So I think he was the number one center. So, and, and certainly interior line, um, for the Lions was a problem. So maybe some people will think that, you know, picking him 20th overall was a little bit early, but I didn't think so because I don't really think he has too many flaws in his games and, and most interior linemen or really just offensive linemen in, in general. Need to get what I would call NFL strong, and it takes them a year to kind of get in the weight room to to get that strength. Mm-hmm. I think Rex right now is almost there, so I think that was a a a really good pick for them at a position of need.
1: Yeah, the size and strength for him stands way out, and uh, I loved watching the the game where he played. Right guard against Alabama. And that's always a good test. If you can get a game on yep. tape with a guy playing against Alabama and how he does, I, I felt the same way about Isaiah Wynn. Like, show me him against Alabama and then I'll be able to figure out if he can play, uh, in the big leagues with, with Detroit's second and third round pick. Um, they did get a safety in the third round. Their second round pick, they go running back. I wonder if they end up regretting not taking Josh Jackson there.
0: Yeah. I think that's, you know, the, what if, um, probably like the most uh, telling scenario for them, just because they they could use someone behind Darius Slay at that cornerback spot. I like Kirion Johnson. Um, I think he is one of those players that, that's very talented just naturally. Um, I, I don't know how many years he's going to be able to play in the league. I mean, we saw him later in the season when Auburn kind of went on that run there when they beat Alabama. Then we're in the SEC title game against Georgia, and Kyron Johnson was just carrying the load. Ended up kind of getting hurt. He runs with such reckless abandon, and is really that just you know compact between the tackles guy that does have good um, you know agility and the ability to you know jump cut and cut against the grain. I don't know if, if he's someone that's going to hit a lot of long runs. So I think he was mostly drafted on on just his natural talent and being a you know he was a former top recruit um and is still a relatively young player but he you know was the feature back there at Auburn last season he might not have it as fresh legs as you would expect from an underclassman coming into the NFL.
1: Yeah, I think I just would have expected them with Matt Patricia now being their head coach that they would have tried to focus a little more on mm-hmm. defense and there were a few other good cornerbacks potentially too that they could have brought in and I agree with Mike Zimmer's uh, saying on cornerbacks that you can never have too many because somebody gets hurt and then you're dipping into the next level and usually there's a huge drop-off there or just, you know, guys get paid a lot of money, they leave in free agency, it's always a good idea to draft them at the top. And the Green Bay Packers, Chris, they were all about drafting cornerbacks in the top and they got my favorite one uh, in the draft, Jair Alexander, and then Josh Jackson, a great playmaker out of Iowa, who had all sorts of picks and passes defended. And the amazing stat on Josh Jackson that blew me away was that he was one of the most targeted in the NCAA. But targeting him turned out to be a really bad idea because when they were throwing it his way, he ended up with all these interceptions and passes defended. Um, what did you make of the Packers going uh, cornerback in the first two rounds?
0: Well, while well, I... Agree with what like Zimmer says about and and a lot of coaches say this that you can never have too many corners. I think that principle does make sense, especially in in today's NFL and where the league is trending. Um, I like those two corners. Um, Josh Jackson was my number one corner. Jair Alexander was my number two corner. So to get those two in the first two rounds, I think just from that perspective um, was a home run by the Packers. It's just they have invested so many early picks over the last couple of years in cornerback. Um, and I'm not going to say that that, that organization, because there is a new GM there, but I'm, I'm not going to say that, that they're, you know, bad at evaluating quarterbacks, but I think it would have been smarter for maybe one of those picks to be someone on the offensive side of the ball to kind of, you know, maximize their Super Bowl window with Aaron Rodgers. Certainly with Mike Pittman there, um, I found it interesting that Jair Alexander can kind of do both. He can play man, play zone. He's mostly, and I think he's best as a man corner and Josh Jackson is I think best as a zone corner and we know that you know Mike Patton coming from the Rex Ryan coaching tree is going to mostly play press man so I think if you let Josh Jackson kind of be that Josh Norman type and just watch the eyes of the quarterback Mm -hmm. and let him use his athleticism and his awareness his ball skills he can be that you know eight interception a season guy like he was at Iowa I mean maybe not eight picks every year in the NFL but I mean that type of playmaker. If he's playing man and doesn't have his you know, head back toward the backfield, I don't know if if you're getting the most value out of that selection. So that was the only – I mean, that's very specific. That's scheme-oriented. And I was just expecting after they went corner in the first round that they were going to pick maybe wide receiver in the second. But then again, I mean, Josh Jackson was someone that I really, really liked and I think almost everyone had as a first-round pick. So to get him in the second – That could have really been your classic best player available scenario for the Packers.
1: I do think that uh, Vikings fans might be happy that they didn't pick... Dallas Goddard because if it was him as a mismatch tight end with Aaron Rodgers that seems like it could be kind of scary and I I do wonder what Aaron Rodgers reaction was like I I would have liked to have watched the draft with him and just seen okay cornerback cornerback like is he happy that they finally did something on defense because they had the second worst quarterback rating against last year or is he like oh so you let uh, you know Jordy Nelson go and you didn't draft anyone to replace him. I'd be fascinated uh, by his response with the Vikings. Uh, Chris, the way I've looked at this is the, the two players that they got are both good prospects, but they went into the draft with one goal and that was to come away with a starting right guard and they did not accomplish that. So what, what did you make of the Vikings draft? I like my cues,
0: um, not as much as the consensus and I even think where the Vikings got him at the back end of the first. Most people thought that was actually, you know, a steal for the Vikings. I, I saw him and we, we brought up Anthony Miller again and, and I'm not going to, you know, crucify a guy for one game. Um, but in one of the two matches last year against Anthony Miller, I thought Miller got the best of him in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he goes way later. I like Mike Hughes' aggressiveness. Um, I like his ability to play man to man. I, I just think that. Because of his lack of size and that he isn't that four three five or four four zero type of corner, um, that he might run into some problems against bigger, faster wide receivers in the NFL. But with Mike Zimmer and what you said, I mean, this is a team that, when you look at its roster, especially on defense, I didn't really see any holes. I mean, their secondary is solid. They have one of the best defensive front sevens in the NFL. That again could be, hey, this is the best player available. Um, we just wanna keep adding talent. We have some young talent in our secondary, but let's just keep adding it to kind of boost the level of, of competition. And when we are facing Aaron Rodgers or we are facing some of these teams that have loaded up in the NFC, the Saints even, um, the Rams, that we wanna be able to go three or four corners deep and not feel like we're putting a guy that should be on the practice squad or is a third or fourth stringer out there that, that we can have three or four high quality corners um to really feast off, you know, the byproduct of having a great pass rush and really good linebackers.
1: Yeah, I think we also might see Zimmer rotate corners a little bit or try to come up with some creative looks. He talked about that on draft day. Uh, what what about Brian O'Neill? Did you have him? Where did you have him rated? He was a guy that sort of came on my radar a little bit later in the draft process uh, because of his athleticism, and I think he's a good scheme fit, but might not be ready right away.
0: Yeah, I think scheme fit wise, it makes sense, I and mean, he is a zone blocking type of player. Um, I I did not like him as a prospect, especially relative. To where he ultimately went and where kind of he was assumed to go, which was right in that second or, or third round. Um, I talked about it earlier with Frank Craig. Now I think Brian O'Neill needs a year, if not two years to get NFL strong. He's just, he is athletic. He's a former tight end. So I think that's probably the most uh, um, alluring thing about him as a prospect or what was, but I just saw him in so many games against not even against top, top competition, but just any, defensive lineman that could match him physically he was you know off balance he did not do well in bull rushing situations so i i think i don't know if he's a tackle is he a, is he strong enough to play guard probably not i don't think he i think you would have problems against those squattier defensive linemen um on the interior so like you said i i was expecting in the first round the vikings to prioritize their offensive line they did it in the next round and i just Didn't really like the prospect. I thought he was more of a developmental guy. A lot of these guys that are former tight end, Blaine Johnson being one of them, these guys, you know, spent a few years transitioning to tackle or to guard and did not have a problem with, with strength or with dealing with counter moves. And those are two areas that I think still need to improve for O'Neill. Could he be a good player down the road? Yes, because of his, you know, athletic upside. I just think he will really need to gain strength and just get better anchoring, um, in pass protection.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I look at this second round for the Vikings, like when James Daniels went off the board, there was one legit prospect left on the interior offensive line that could step right in and play, and that was Connor Williams. And their decision not to trade up and get him at some point, that may be one they look back at and regret. Or if Brian O'Neill is a franchise left tackle a few years from now, they may say, good thing we didn't do that. So I, that's going to be... Uh, one of the things to watch. Before I let you go, Chris, and, and very much appreciate all the time, just your thought on where the quarterbacks landed. Uh, you are based there in Buffalo, so they decided to go with Josh Allen. Despite the tweets, despite the completion percentage, and all those things, they pick him. Was that the biggest surprise to you, or are you not stunned that they went with Josh Allen? Um, I'm not
0: surprised, um, that they went with Josh Allen and, and this is not because I think he is the next coming of this quarterback, but the similarities to Cam Newton and with Sean McDermott, the former Panthers, um, defensive coordinator and their Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, who was the assistant GM in Carolina for a long time. Um, that's why I'm not surprised by it. They're both really big, really physical, can run, have huge arms, are kind of boomer bust as passers. Uh Cam Newton's only had two of his seven seasons in, in the NFL with a completion percentage over sixty. His touchdown to interception ratio isn't brutal, but it's not, you know, four to one or anything like that or three to one, I don't think so. I th- like because of those similarities, I'm not surprised. I, I do think that they took the biggest risk. Um, of any of the teams that picked a quarterback in the first round, and not only because they traded up and and paid a a pretty good price to get Josh Allen, but just like you mentioned, not just the completion percentage, but just his accuracy concerns, um, which to me are are more, you know, he'll throw five strikes in a row and then he'll sail a ball five yards over someone's head. His his ball placement on his accurate passes are not bad or isn't really bad, but but he's just kind of... Sporadic with his accuracy, and almost worse than that is the fact that I don't think he's great under pressure. And to me, that's the final test when I'm watching a quarterback. Ninety-nine percent of these guys, once they get to the NFL, if they have a clean pocket, they can throw accurate passes. But the the good quarterbacks or the great quarterbacks are separated from the good ones um, by how they manage themselves in the pocket. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers. The list goes on. They are all very calm under pressure. Um, can you know drift away from pressure inside the pocket? We saw Case Keenum last year do that so well in Minnesota. Um, so I don't really think Josh Allen is that good in that area. And then the final thing, he tries to do too much um, when he is improvising and throw off his back foot mm-hmm. and cross his body. I think the latter could be maybe coached out of him. But the other two aspects are, you know, very concerning and, and I don't, I haven't really seen and I don't know of any examples of quarterbacks who come in with accuracy problems and problems dealing with pressure that all of a sudden get better once they hit the NFL.
1: Yeah, I thought too that he was actually the one who should have been criticized rather than Lamar Jackson for being too quick to run that he would mm-hmm. not, not see that yep. first read right there, and then it was roll out or it was run with the football. And uh, that's not something you really want to see where it's, you know, the, it's funny because Lamar Jackson, I, I thought if his first read wasn't there, he often worked his way through and would buy himself time and keep his eyes downfield. And, and for him to drop to 32, in my mind, is a is a far superior prospect. But the NFL is is still the NFL, and the Arizona Cardinals are the best beneficiaries, I think, because they got the guy who has the best footwork, who in my mind is the most NFL-ready to step in if uh, he has to, and I think he has a really high ceiling, too. So I, I come away with this thinking that, yet yeah, the Bears and Packers and Lions, they all did well, but if I was going to say a winner of the draft, I'd go Arizona simply on the fact that they got my number 1 quarterback.
0: Yeah, I think... And then when you look at the, you know, the differences in what each team had to give up to move up for their quarterback, um, the Cardinals only gave up a third and a fifth round pick to move five spots. Yeah. Um. So to to do that, and certainly the price was probably devalued a little bit because he was, you know, the last of the big four to come off the board. Um. But to to not have to give up or sell the farm, and not that the Bills did that, they didn't trade. Uh, number 22 they didn't trade next year's first round pick but they traded a lot more than a third and a fifth to get Josh Allen so yeah I certainly think um that Josh Rosen is very pro ready and it really wouldn't even surprise me I know there's you know with contracts teams kind of you know try to force guys on the field at times it wouldn't surprise me if Josh Rosen actually beats out Sam Bradford and is either starting week one or you know by October is actually Arizona starting quarterback.
1: Well, that will be something uh, that I will be keeping an eye on for the rest of time, Chris, is just how the quarterbacks (laughs) in this draft uh, work out because I think we've all had very strong opinions on it, and uh, I am really interested to see what Josh Rosen and Lamar Jackson do because those were two of my favorites. But, Chris, I, I appreciate... All the time, and as I was preparing for this draft, I read a lot of your work, a lot of your analysis, and you put so much into it. Very much appreciate your work, and thanks for the time today.
0: All right, man. Thanks for having me on. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar.